Welcome to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast, brought to you by DSW Ministries. Your host is singer, songwriter, speaker, and domestic violence advocate, Diana Winkler. She is passionate about helping survivors in the church heal from domestic violence and abuse and trauma. This podcast is not a substitute for professional counseling or qualified medical help. Now, here is Diana. Hey, welcome back to part two of my interview with Pastor Al Deschano. We had a wonderful time on last week's recording, talking about his childhood, how he was raised in a Christian home, but he was terribly bullied through school and didn't have any friends. And we talked about his college years and how he was a very angry young man and talked about his breakthrough, you know, really renewing his relationship with the Lord and how the Lord called him into ministry. We did talk a little bit about music and cultural things that maybe affect our mood. So be sure to listen to part one of that episode if you haven't yet. So I'm not going to delay any further. Here is part two of my conversation with Pastor L. Deschanel. I really want them to hear about your pastoral experience. You mean the reason I'm on the podcast? Yeah, <laughs> what's okay. your, uh, your first preaching experience? Tell them about that. Number one, first time ever? Golly. Yeah. Okay, so I'm in <laughs> seminary. I am not taking any preaching classes because I am not going to be a preacher. That is no chance. I am ta- I am going to serve the church in a quiet way from behind the scenes. And so therefore, they f- but they force you in seminary to take at least one. And they force you to do at least one sermon. And so I had to write one. So I wrote, I wrote eight pages, double spaced, of a sermon. And I had to deliver it. Now, for context, right now, I preach sermons that are about seven or eight pages that are similar. And it would take me about 45 minutes to preach uh, that sermon today. It took me 12 minutes. <laughs> and afterwards, do you remember that old Max L commercial where the, the person's sitting in a big long chair and their hair is blowing back and they're sitting in front of the speaker and the entire room is just blown away? That's yep. what everybody in the class looked like. And I got one comment. The the because the, yeah. the, the teacher turns around and he you know like uh, squints a little bit and sh- and and goes okay everybody uh, uh, can, we, can we get a little feedback for for Al and they sat there quietly just stunned in stunned silence for what felt like at least three minutes until one guy said you didn't say um or ah uh, even once <laughs> they're trying to find something nice to say <laughs> okay Al you can go sit down now thank you thank you thank you <laughs> oh now, that was the first one. But that being said, okay, and and I don't know if you want to you want to get but to the to the second one or not. But oh, uh, yeah. that was yeah. Because what what happened after that was because I had no idea what I was doing there. All I knew was that this is where I needed to be, but I had no idea what God wanted me to do. I felt like it was a good idea for me to steer my own ship, and so I picked my own mentor. I picked which church I wanted to go to. I picked all the you know activities I want to be a part of because I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that, and this is going to make me stronger, and it's going to make me better. All the while. It was all good stuff, but none of it was what God wanted me to do. It was just good stuff. And so I finally got to like second semester, 
third year master's degree. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I don't have a clue. So I walked into the academic vice president and I, you know, I, I talked to God first and I said, God, I am, I am just going to start saying yes to everything everyone tells me to do because I'm so sick of steering my ship. So you better bring me the right people because if someone tells me to do something incredibly stupid or dangerous, I'm just going to say yes. Cause I don't know what to do. Well, the academic vice president of the school had kind of uh, taken me under his wing a little bit in that last year because I was such a, a, a pinball. And he called me on the Wednesday, which is two days after I'd prayed that prayer. And he said, Al, I need you to go preach. I need you to go preach in this little church that is over in you know this little town. And uh, I would have laughed him off the phone and said, no, thank you. Click. Except for <laughs> I told God I would say yes to everything. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> And so I went and I, I brought my one little sermon and I preached it. it might've taken me 13 minutes because I was able to take a breath at that point. And it, uh, uh, they invited me back wow. <laughs> and they said, uh, would you come back again? And then another church said, Hey, we heard that you, uh, you preach. Can you, uh, can you come to our church? And then another church somewhere else said, Hey, can you be our interim preacher for a little while? Because, uh, uh, we're looking for someone to preach and apparently you, you, you do that. And meanwhile, I'm, I'm sick every time I go to church, I'm in the bathroom. I'm, I'm destroyed on the insides, scared out of my mind, sweating like a pig shaking. And then I go stumbling up to the, to the pulpit, give my meager little sermon, stumble back down and someone goes, wow, that was pretty good. Can you come back next week? And I oh, do that no. again for, and then I do that for 10 straight years. Uh, oh, well, it which was, one was the German immigrant church? That was the, that was the very first church I had. When I, when I finally, you know, allowed God to, to start dictating my path again, instead of just doing good things, I was doing God things. He, he, um, I said again, put me wherever you want. I, I don't care where I go. And so he said, okay, I pick Cleveland. And I'm like, you mean in the Cleveland U.S.? Cleveland, Ohio? Okay. So I moved 2,000 miles away from home. Uh, went to uh, went to this little church full of German immigrants. 72 years old was the average age. There wasn't a kid in sight except for two little ones who were um, the son and daughter of the moderator. They had been a church of, that was a great big church, beautiful church, giant stained glass window, three story tall stained glass window, gorgeous church. They've been a church of Germans, uh, German immigrant Baptists for a long time. They, whenever somebody got off the boat and they were a German Baptist, they came to that church. So they had quite a heyday. That heyday was long gone. And about 25 years before they'd actually told the, uh, their children, their children came to them and said, we want to, uh, have a service for our friends in English with music mm -hmm. we like, can we please do that? And they went, no, because, you know, all the reasons we've been talking about, all the non-biblical yeah. stupid reasons. And so they grew up and left. And so at some point in about three years before I got there, they'd all looked around and went, holy moly, there's nobody here. It's just us seniors and we're tired and we don't want to do anything. But <laughs> we don't want the building to close. So what are we going to do? So they went to their pastor who'd been there for 25 straight years, but was so sick of being there. He would show up on a Sunday, drive into the parking lot, walk from the parking lot up to the pulpit, give his sermon, 
leave the service, and walk back down the aisle straight to his car and drive away. He was done. He was retired a long time ago. He just didn't tell the congregation. Yeah. And so when they came to him and they said, uh, we want to, we need to do some kind of something to revive this church or we're going to die. We're out of money. We're out of people. We have no youth. We have no workers. We have no board. We have no nothing. We're going to, we're going to, we're in trouble. He went, yeah, I'm not really the guy. And so he retired. Well, they went through 18 months of questionnaires with the denomination to find out what they should do. And it turned out what they should do is find a young pastor that knows how to play music and is as inspirational preaching and knows how to do evangelism and is able to attract young people. Well, that turned out to be me. And I was the only, shall we say, green preacher that would have been dumb enough to take that job. I learned later a lot of people had been through that interview oh, process. Like, what, I knew you, when, you, when you started that story, <laughs> I'm like, I know, you know exactly how this is going to end because I've been so, in well, churches just like it. I didn't. Because when I walked in there, I thought, okay, it's a bunch of Christians. They've known Jesus for 50, 60 years. They know the Bible. They want to grow. They say they want to change. They've done 18 months of work to do it. And now they're dragging me 2,000 miles and spending 10,000 bucks for, to move me there. They've got to be serious. Turns out they weren't. And so I, uh, I spent a long time. Get, uh, in that church trying to figure out what to do. And eventually what happened is I built two churches. It, there was the old church full of the old people that didn't want any, anything to happen, that were mad because, you know, things were changing and, and whatever. And there was the new church that sat in the front corner uh, all together. And there was the, you know, there was the the interracial couple and the black one and uh, and the Hispanic one and the, and the hyperactive kid and the the pregnant lady that wore clothes that were way too tight married to the guy with the tattoos and the mustard stained white beater shirt sitting in the corner uh talk, uh, learning about jesus well that was not the crowd they wanted in their church and they made it clear they wouldn't even speak english to them no and so it came down to a head at one point where uh it was an annual meeting and i said to the crowd you know the, the new folks and I said, once you come to the annual meeting, you'll kind of see what happens in the background of the church, where the money goes, you know, how, th how decisions are made. It's kind of an interesting thing. It's boring. It's a meeting. But, you know, it yeah. might, might be interesting to show up. So they showed up. And that's where uh, I don't need to get into the story. But the, all of a sudden, division broke out. And I got lambasted publicly. And it made everybody that liked the ministry and what we were doing mad. And it that that was the end of the church at that point. It was a, all about that communion table. <laughs> well, I didn't want to tell the story, but yeah, essentially what had happened was, uh, and you gave away the punchline, but <laughs> what had happened was I came to the meeting and I'd said, uh, uh, we got to the end, very, very end. And the moderator said, is there any, any other business? And the only deacon there, the, the final last remaining leader in the church stood up and said, I have something to say folded his little papers, put him down and said, as in the days before Josiah, Pastor Al has turned his back on the word of God. And I went, what? And so I started going through every sermon I'd possibly preached in the last however long. I'm like, what did I do? What did I say? I'm not saying I didn't do it. I'm saying, what did I do? You know, and it turned out what had happened was the communion table, which I'd moved so that the children could come to the new, new kids could come to the front so I could do children's church with them. 
I'd put it on the stage behind the pulpit. And on top of the top of the communion cable was the show Bible. You know, that one that nobody reads that's on like the gold, like stand that is always open to Psalm 23 and has, hasn't been moved in a decade. That one, that was behind me now. And so they voted. The, the moderator said, yeah, but I think he had a good reason. Let's vote. Do we vote to trust Pastor Al or vote to vote? And so they voted 51% to 49% to vote, not trust Pastor Al and to vote. And then they voted 51% to 49% to put the communion table back and never move it again. That made the new people so angry and feel so hurt. So this is not about God or 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 faith or any this is about this is about you guys isn't it they they just they 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 wanted to leave later the men came to me and said i almost got up and punched that old man like both of them told me individually that they they had to hold themselves back both of the women uh that had that had come cried on the way out they were absolutely wrecked by that meeting uh because what i'd said was true they got to see other church works behind the scenes so when did you know it was time to leave (laughs) I am not a quitter. And so what I did is I stayed for as long as I possibly could. I'd never decided to resign. I never decided to go anywhere. And it became harder and harder and harder. So soon they kicked out the denomination and they kicked out just everybody. And there was just me sitting alone in my office by myself because nobody, they were all, just everything was done. And I was going to stay and keep trying and keep preaching and keep, you know, doing whatever I could by myself. But uh, I came to the denominational leader and I said, how do you know when it's time to leave a church? You know, how do you know it's time to leave? And he said, he said, first, uh, you, you know, it's time to start thinking about leaving when you start thinking about leaving. That's one. And the second thing is maybe you're asking the wrong question. Maybe instead Mm -hmm. of asking God, do I, should I leave the church? You should ask God, God, should I stay in this church? And so I started praying that and it was like within again, like a day or two that I had three different people come out of completely out of the woodwork and say identical words to me, Al, it's not your fault. <laughs> that was the way they first started. It's not your fault. I think it's time for you to go and, and, uh, and you're done it's, and, and I'm okay. All right. I, I get it, but I didn't know what to do because I'm not going to quit. I just don't know, but I know that I, it's not my fault and I'm done now. Well, two days later, a church in Canada emailed me and said, we got your resume a year ago when we were going through the church resume process. It was just a demo someone sent us. And we've been looking at it, using it as an example. We were just wondering, is it do you, like, do you have another resume? Can we look at it? And are you open to another position? I'd never sent a resume out. In fact, I've never gotten a ministry job with a resume because God has ordained those moments to happen. And he did that. And I was gone within a few months. Mm. Yeah. That's how it happened. So you're, you go back to Ottawa at that point? Well, not back to, that's the first time I've ever been in Ottawa. Yeah. We go to Ottawa. Yeah. I keep, Ottawa's like 2000 kilometers away from where I grew up. Yeah. So yeah, we well, go to you're Ottawa. back in Canada. You're not in Cleveland. Back in Canada. Yeah, at least we. My first Sunday was Canada Day, so that's appropriate. Mm-hmm. And uh, the we had a, a, the church had brought me in under the the banner of 
it's time to, we're, we're doing a building project. We are ready to go to the next level. Take us to the next level. You know, you're a good preacher. You're a good, you know how to do evangelism. You've been trying to work with the community, you, you know, whatever, whatever. Take us to the next level. Well, it turned out that church had a lot going on underneath the surface too. And within about five years, it it had been so, so much of the undercurrent of, of, of negativity and, and pain had come out because of me and my ministry that I was, I was almost, I'd almost, I almost left the ministry. Essentially what happened was I was in, I have this phrase that I keep using, which is that's not in the Bible. So no. Yep. Uh, and so the, whenever someone would come to me and they'd come up with me with a brilliant idea that was against the Bible, I would say, no, that's not what the Bible says. No. And so I'd preach on things like you have to go forgive people and you, when you're not supposed to come to worship service and, and church, if you haven't forgiven someone, if you know someone's against you, go deal with them. And then you come to church again, things like that. And, uh, it, people were starting to get a little bit rankled. And so the, there was a couple of women that started to hate my guts because, the people that were coming and the new people that were coming and the, the things that were happening in the church, they were losing control of what was happening in the church yeah. because now there were some new people that were coming, some new ideas were forming. I, the, the, the board was getting excited about the future and, and changing some stuff. And so they started getting upset. And so they, said they launched a, a, an attack against me, accusing me of everything under the sun. And while they couldn't pin anything on me because the, the, the attack was so relentless, people were like, well, something's wrong. So they went and they got a, uh, a moderation team. They grabbed another church and they asked for a moderation team. So three people that had never moderated anything in their entire life, uh, had just got done a class, came in and decided they were going to use us as a, as their first, uh, first run experiment and came up with all kinds of insane stuff. My favorite one being that they decided that it would be a really good idea if I came to church on a Saturday, sat on a chair in front of a table, wasn't allowed to talk and anybody was allowed to say whatever they wanted to me. Oh and goodness. so people came in and just were like, they, the only people that come, come to that kind of meeting are people who want to be not the coolest people, you know what I mean? And so I just, I just got uh, lambasted there. And so we, every month it just got a little bit worse and they could never pin anything on me. So they couldn't fire me. They couldn't get rid of me. And they, uh, but in the meantime, everybody who's in leadership that wants to change is, is, getting hurt because they're seeing me get beat up. So they leave the, anybody who wants to become a new leader is too scared to get on the board with the people that are uh, absolutely destroying me. Uh, anybody who wants to do evangelism and do, do work is their energy is being sucked dry because they're being asked to come to yet another reconciliation meeting yet another, can we cover this issue meeting? And so all the air is sucked out of the church because this of the, uh, the, I guess you'd say because of, demonic disagreement that has no base and no grounding. And then it, I basically, I got to the point where I was so hurt and so exhausted that I remember what happened. I, I remember the, remember the phrase that came to mind, uh, it, the term, whatever became my mantra and people mm -hmm. would do want to do horrible. The church would want to do horrible or mean or terrible or abusive stuff to me. And I'd be like, whatever. Like the one, the one example I, I would give is where they said, uh, you know how we've been saying all along that, that the meetings are private, that whatever is said here is uh, not, is going to be kept in confidence. We don't think that's good anymore. And so we kind of want to tell everybody what's been going on here. Is that okay? 
And I'm like, I and I said, I'm like, whatever. Because that's all I had left. I had nothing left in the tank. Nothing. I was done. And it wasn't until three pastors from the area came into the church, like, and I, unbeknownst to me, contacted the church and said, you're killing him. He's going to die because you guys are killing him. You have to give him a break. And so those mm-hmm. those churches actually started paying my salary so that I could be off with pay. Yeah. Uh, with the qualification, the church demanded that I came back after three months. I didn't know how messed up I was. After two weeks, I was like, this is stupid. I feel like I need to go back to work. This is dumb. By the third month, I just started to get an inkling about how hurt, abused, messed up I really was. And I didn't know how to function anymore. So I, I came into church and I'm just exhausted. And I'm hoping, you know, you're raw. You're a little bit healed mm-hmm. up because you had, but you're raw. And if anybody even blows on you, it's going to hurt. Yeah. You know, the, so I walked in there and they had a new committee had formed a new board full of people that were, were ready to go. The person who was mad had decided that they didn't want to come to that church anymore. And so they, they, they went home. They, the person that was uh, the other person that they were, they were, were manipulating. Well, they didn't have their, you know, person manipulating them. And so they weren't in trouble anymore. So this new group, raised up that were ready to go and they wanted to change. Well, I came to that meeting and I'm okay, let's do this thing. And I'm ready to go. We're going to revision, replant. Finally, the stuff's in the past. They're done fighting about me and done fighting about everything. We're moving on. And Mm. at that meeting, right before we started, the moderator said, right before I, before we went in here, someone handed me this envelope. And I think, uh, just hold on a second. Let me, let me read it and see what it is. So she opens it up and she looks down at the, and her face just falls. And I'm like, oh, goody. I wonder what this is. Well, it was a uh, petition to have me fired. And it was signed by a bunch of people. And I'm like, holy moly, how many, how many people signed this? And, but what had happened was the the last, the the blow, the final, final shot across the bow to the, uh, from this grumpy old lady was that she went to all the shut-ins and all the children of people who were attending and her own children who didn't attend and had them sign. There wasn't a single signature from anybody who actually sat in the church. It was her signature and a bunch of other shut-ins who'd been told lies and a bunch of other people who didn't even attend the church. And I said, I remember saying, I said, guys, this is such a smoke screen. This is just meant to distract us. This is Satan trying to to suck us back into the same old crap we were just dealing with with for the last two years don't fall for it that we just let's move on to the revisioning and the moving on and, and getting new energy flowing. We, this is a good thing. This is a good meeting. And then the phrase that every Christian leader loathes to hear because they know it sounds very Christian, but is dead wrong came out, which was, well, we don't want to move forward until we have full unity. Therefore we should look into this. And that was it. I stayed for stupid. a little while after that because, you know, I don't quit <laughs> until uh, I came to the final meeting where I, it was a, it was a Monday. I tell the story like this because it's true. It was a Monday. I came to work. I was doing my devos and God, I, I started <laughs> getting the distinct impression that God was saying, you're, uh, you're going to resign this week. 
I'm like, what do you mean I'm going to resign this week? Flip the page to the next Bible verse. Uh-oh. You know, the the first one was about the new wine into old wineskins. The next one was, no, I'll be with you wherever you go. And I'm like, what is going on here? And the <laughs> next verse, I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. Uh, okay, I don't know what this means. Well, that Friday, I get a phone call. Uh, Pastor, we're having a uh, surprise meeting over at the uh, board chair's house. Can you please come tonight at 7 o'clock? And I'm like, oh, that's what's happening this week. <laughs> so I showed up to the meeting and they said, and you know, this is almost a direct quote, uh, Pastor Al, uh, you're a great pastor. You're, great, you're a good preacher. Uh, we'd hire you again today. You, you've done nothing wrong, but there are two women that are making our lives absolutely miserable, and it would just be easier if you would quit. So we were asking for your resignation. And they followed that up with, now we know you're going to tell us that's not biblical, well, but yeah. we don't care. But we don't care. This would just be easier. Would you please resign? I would have fought tooth and nail. I would have been like, what are you talking about? Are you kidding me right now? But God has shown up on Monday to go, okay, 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 okay. Be ready to resign. And so he had my resignation the next day. And I had nowhere else to nowhere to go. Right? But no. God had a plan. I have never, I'll tell you what, in all my years of ministry, as difficult and insane and frustrating and abusive and glorious, a lot of part of it, part of it was, um, I've never missed a bill. God has always taken care of me. Amen. Even when I've, I've, I've had no income, no job, no, no source of income ever looking out towards the, no unemployment insurance, no nothing. Uh, there's the point at which I had 10 cents left in the bank. And no job, because as a pastor, you, it's really hard to get a job anywhere else yeah. that isn't a church. And uh, that day, someone just showed up and gave us enough money to pay our bills for a couple months. It was, it's been an, an amazing journey to see God's hand of provision, God's gift through his people. And that's the thing, is that it's really easy. It would be really easy for me to poop all over churches, to say, they're all the same. My experiences are bad. It eventually all goes sour. But that's the same exact stuff I was saying to myself sitting in that dorm room. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. not true. God works through his people. God loves his church. God wants us. One of the signs of a Christian is to be in love with the church, with his Christians, with, with other Christians, is to want to be with them. God has given us a family. He says we're part of the body of Christ. He says that we are part of that and they are without a piece of their body if we're not there and we cannot be his image and we cannot be his uh, enough if we are not part of his body. Therefore, he wants us to be part of the church. It's exactly. hard. It's often hard and sometimes it's so hard it hurts. Mm -hmm. But I can't, I can't get away from the fact that I have this longing to be with the people of God. And I'll tell you what, the people that have hurt me the most in the world, beyond anything I, I could ever mean to experience, even, even the abuse I suffered when I was a kid, have been Christians. Self-proclaimed yes, Christians who, yep. were, who were leaders in the church. Uh, mm -hmm. But you know what else? The people have shown me the most kindness, the most love, most generosity, have been closest to me, walked with me, wept with me, prayed for me, encouraged me, sucked me out of a bad place. Those are also Christians. Yeah. Strange dichotomy, isn't it? <laughs> well, not really. I mean, it's it, all the way through scripture. It, you're, we're warned that there is a, there's 
the people of light and the people of darkness. And all the way through the New Testament, we're warned that there are going to be wolves in sheep clothing, that there are going to be people who are infiltrating the church. There are people who are who look very much like Christians on the outside, mm -hmm. but are working for Team Satan. That we're warned about that. So we're uh, we're supposed to be wise. We're supposed to be observant. We're supposed to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit when it comes to that kind of stuff. That, because the Satan hates the church. He wants it to be destroyed. He wants yeah. it to be crippled. He wants us to not be part of it. He wants us to think we can relate to God and we can be the full measure of what we're meant to be as a Christian without the body of Christ. Because if he can do that, Satan can manipulate us, cause us to believe lies and destroy our faith and destroy our witness. Because yes. that's all that protection happens within the bounds of the church, the church building under good elders, around good deacons, with good teachers, surrounded by loving people who have all the spiritual gifts. That's where that happens. We need them. But there's an inherent danger. And that is the fact that it is a spiritual war zone. Now, I, I don't want to open up a huge can of worms, but you've definitely been through a, a crazy journey here. But mm -hmm. I, I didn't hear a whole lot in your podcast about what was your family going through, your your wife and, and your kids? How did all this affect them? I mean, were they cool with this? Well, I'll tell you, the uh, I don't tell my wife's story and I don't tell my kid's story because I tell my story. And okay. I, I've always I've always preached that way. But I will I will say that uh, it is difficult on the pastor's kids, it's difficult on the pastor's wife. And I would mm -hmm. say it's one of the most difficult things for a pastor's wife is the fact that they don't go to the meetings. All they see is when their husband comes home tenderized mm -hmm. and weeping and broken and exhausted and goes, what happened? And you don't have the energy to tell, or you're upset and you only say all the bad stuff that happened. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and so it's, I think it's worse for the pastors because she's not at the meeting. She's not the one hearing the accusations. All she gets is whatever, whatever weirdness her husband's willing to, to remember and the occasional bad story and then silence because she's not supposed to go to church and ask everybody, you know, what happened at the secret meeting because that's not, not what's supposed to happen. And so it's, it's hard and it's easy to get jaded against the church, against Christians, against believers as uh, a PK or a pastor's wife, simply because um, if you've been in the experience that it's I It's a fishbowl. Yeah. Yeah. We're in, in a fishbowl so for I, sure. I, I'm not going to speak for my wife or for my kids, no. but I will say that, that there definitely have been casualties mm -hmm. of, uh, of spiritual proportions within my family because of the treatment of, uh, that I've received and what they've seen the church do to me. Yeah. Right. It's hard to be positive about your church experience. Look forward to church on Sunday when you know, for a fact, your dad came home utterly wrecked because he went to a church meeting or because the phone call came and just turned him from, Hey, we're having a good time tonight too. I can't, I'm sorry guys. I can't hang out with you. I'm, you know, that becomes hard on the, uh, uh on the kids. And so to go, you know, let's get excited about going to church. Let's get excited about going to uh, meeting these people. Let's get, let's go find a new church and stuff. It's, it's Me hard because yeah. especially on little ones who have given themselves, you know, like they don't know. So they give themselves wholly to the people. Their Sunday schools, their favorite Sunday school of all time. Their church music is the best music they've ever yeah. heard. All the old ladies are the nicest old ladies they've ever experienced in their whole life. And mm. then out of nowhere, you're like, okay, we got to go. Because, uh, you know, and then, uh. 
you find they find you know they're old enough to to try to figure out wait a minute maybe thing they weren't as nice as i thought and maybe that person wasn't quite as uh christ-like as they should have been and now how do i trust these people and going to another church is hard already regardless of who you are it's yeah. hard to change churches it's period like going to a new school yeah. yeah so it's uh it's hard on the kids it's hard on the wife it's hard on the pastor it's hard on everybody now, um, my listeners have heard bits and pieces of my story. I did a Reader's Digest version um, for episode zero. But when I heard you do your series of your story, I, I thought, oh, I'm going to do mine uh, coming up in the future because I only tell my full story in my Mending the Soul group, my healing groups, because it's it's hard to get through my story in, in an hour. Um, so I'm going to break it up in chunks, kind of like you did. And um, I did it in 25 weeks. Yeah. Took- yeah. I guess <laughs> <laughs> that might be if I drag it on, but uh, I've been inspired to do a series like that. Yeah. I've, I've got I'm, stories that would match yours. I'm fully convinced that the most powerful thing we have in our arsenal as an evangelist, as a counselor, as a, a minister, as, as a, uh, a friend is our story. That is the thing that God has given us. That is the most powerful thing we have. It is not our Bible memorization. It is not how good we are at giving the, you know, the four spiritual laws. It is not how uh, um, educated we are at school and all the papers on the wall. The strongest thing, the thing that's going to change people's lives, that'll affect them most deeply, connect you heart, most to them, is your story. Because it's your story. They can't argue with it because it's your story. And you can tell it from such in such a way that it is winsome and interesting and meaningful. And I promise you, there's going to be part of it that's going to hit everybody you talk to because we're all living in the same stuff. Absolutely. That's the biggest, the biggest lie that Satan, that Satan's ever convinced everybody is that everybody's alone or that, that mm-hmm. nobody understands. Cause I'll yeah. tell you what, 15 years of ministry, I've ne- uh, if there's one universal thing, everybody is hurting. Yes. That person that's at church that is always smiling, the most positive person you've ever known. You sit them down for 20 minutes, get to know them. You ask them what's going on and they'll go, oh man, it's such a blessing. I'm so glad that you're here. It's just really wonderful. After about an hour, you're going to hear, well, here's what's happening right now. That's absolutely crushing me. And the Mm -hmm. only way I'm getting through it is with the grace of God and the people that love me. That's it. That's all I'm doing. Every single person you meet is like that. And then your little, your problems go. And the only way to hear it is if people are willing to tell their story. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to um, end our time together without talking about your new ministry, your your (laughs) gaming ministry that has just been flourishing. And I feel really bad. I haven't been on Discord. Um, You know, I always get the notices when you're live and stuff. And I'm usually knee deep in work. I'm not a gamer at all. I mean, the last time I played a video game was, uh, yeah, we're about the same age. So um, I was on an Atari in grade school and I played Pac-Man, Space Invaders, Frogger, and Pong. So if you had any of those games, I could play with you. But um, other they than have that, made I some pretty, they've made some pretty sick versions of Pong. Tell <laughs> this... you what, you, you, they have made some hardcore 3D, fully immersive versions of Pong. So it's, 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 uh, you, you might, you might have changed your world. You go get a VR set and start playing Pong, but the, yeah. So the, I'll tell you what the right now in, in my life, God is doing such a weird thing that I never would have thought. Like I said, I, I, God has never given me a job with a resume. 
So a little while back, uh, I this the church I was at, I was at for seven years, and uh, it came to sort of a, I don't want to say a natural end, but it came to an end because COVID hit. We ran out of money, bunch of people in the church, you know, it, it just became, it just, then they went, you know what, we can't renew your contract. We just can't. And so uh, I ended up resigning. They gave me a package. We, we move on. And I didn't know what to do with myself. I started praying about it, asking God about it. What am I going to do? And long story short, uh, the podcast that I was, that I was doing, I converted from a sermon podcast into what you hear now. People started listening to it, actually liking it. I wanted to figure out a way that I could do an interactive thing with it. How do I get questions and answers and things like that? So I can meet the people that are listening. Well, that led me to live streaming on YouTube. Well, okay, what's the better platform for live streaming? Well, it's Twitch. Twitch is designed for live streaming. Okay, cool. What is what is that? And God started to weave this tapestry in my heart that I would never have ever seen before, where I started to develop a, a love for the people on Twitch, a desire to minister to them, an understanding of how lonely and afraid and addicted and dark a lot of the lives of these people who are who are gamers and who are streamers and who are watching these gamers and streamers online because i mean you guys know if, if you you all probably have a friend who is who doesn't leave their house is addicted to the internet yeah. is constantly only thinks about video games is staring at the the screen all the time and uh their life isn't the nicest of life well imagine that but times 140 million so they the, there's this place called Twitch that is full of lost souls that have almost no Christian representation. Mm -hmm. You can count the amount of people that are serving these people uh, that are actually trained like ministers on one hand. 140 million people, five trained missionaries. There are a lot of really cool Christian people on there that are trying to give a you know po positive atmosphere. There's maybe a couple thousand. But when it comes to actual people that are choosing to be on there to minister to those who are there to bring the gospel to them, to become, to build a faith community with them involved. It's like five, uh, at least the, all the ones I've ever seen. So maybe it's 10, <laughs> but there's not many. And so as God started knitting this thing to my heart and starting to give me a, 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 give me a heart for these people, I started to explore what that would look like. And so I started to see what it would be like to Twitch, see what it'd be like to live stream. Then I started looking to gaming and then I started figuring out what discord was. I started figuring out how can I do this? And all of a sudden out of nowhere, I've got people affirming me. Al, we heard you're doing this thing. That is really cool. This is exactly what you should be doing. Hey Al, how can I help? Hey, here's a, here's a little bit of money to help out. Hey, can I buy you some free games? You, you should do this. Continue. Uh, this is pretty good. Wow. And uh, I'm like, holy mackerel. Are you, and I'm like, honestly, it's like, are you kidding God right now? You want me, a 43-year-old preacher who has been on stage, not playing games, only reading books for 20 years, to come and be a video game minister online? Uh, I'll try, you know? So and cool. so, but God has been opening doors. He's been connecting me with people. He's been providing in miraculous ways. And so I'm going, you know what? If this is what God wants me to do, I'll do it with my whole heart. So I spend sometimes 15, 16 hours a day just working on this thing. You really can spend a lot of time when you're trying to build this thing up. So I've had, I've got a bunch of followers, not very many, but uh, more than, more than I thought I would. Some subs, uh, wow. some games, some things, and I'm throwing everything at the wall to try to make it grow. And you, are I you am, kids gamers at all? Nope. 
No. My my I mean my son has a computer and he, he plays the occasional game, but gaming was never a big part of our our life. We're mm-hmm. we like movies. And yeah. so gaming was never a thing. And like I never grew up as a gamer. What I what I am is I'm I'm a media consumer. And so I like watching people play video games. I liked watching people go through the let's plays and, and going all through the, the whatever levels and seeing the funny stuff and watching them play Minecraft, but I'd never got the mouse and did it myself. And so now I am on the other end of the, the, the monitor and it's, it's a challenge. The, the hard part for me really is the video game part. I can sit there and talk to anybody for as long as you want. I can do all the counseling and community building and all the technology and all the rest of that stuff. But when it comes down to it, the, the playing the video games and making that interesting, that's the most challenging part for me. Uh, it's, it's tough uh, to do that part because you're not playing video games for an hour. You're playing video games for four or five. Sometimes if you'd want to do it right, eight straight, wow. which is work believe it or not and then you have to edit the videos and then you have to do the social media and you have to connect on discord and you have to figure out how you can counsel some of these people that are going through stuff and you got to be reactive to the chat for eight hours and you got to be winsome and interesting and then you got to do uh the sound editing and i still got to do my podcast and you know like it's it is so much work but it is self-motivating because god is in it then you get a job offer somewhere and in Oh, that was a wild story. Yeah. Okay, you, I, I don't know how long you want to go, but yeah, I had this really weird thing happen where I, you know, I, I finally, of course, my wife is like, could you please send resumes places? You know, I, I know that God wants you to do some stuff, but tell you what, maybe he wants you to do a part-time. How about we get healthcare and maybe some groceries? Uh, would that be okay? And so I sent resumes around and I found this really cool job. It was for a nonprofit that uh, rescues parrots, you know, like the bird, probably mm-hmm, cracker mm-hmm. parrots. They, uh, I went through the interview process. They really liked me. I went through another interview process. They really liked me. And at the end, they sat me down and they took, well, they put me on zoom and they put me on uh, the video. And she said, and she says to me, Al, we want to hire you. You are exactly what we're looking for. You have all the skills we're looking for. Your proposal was amazing. We cannot in good conscience hire you. You clearly have a passion for ministry. And it would be wrong for us to take you away from that. So as much as we want to hire you, you need to pursue what, what is on your heart. And I'm like, did a secular organization just tell me to go, go trust God? (laughs) Did they just tell me to go, Al, stop trying to be, go another way and go listen to God. Okay. I guess if God's going to start talking through Balaam's donkey, I bet I should probably start listening, you know? so awesome that was just confirmation wasn't it i mean uh, well it's certainly i mean it's not i still struggle with self with the self-doubt and still it's still such an insane thing to try to do uh but every day uh, i get another piece of confirmation that god is in it that something cool is happening there are people on the other end that are captivated by the idea of think about it there are 140 million people that will never cross the door of your church that will Mm -hmm. never walk through the doors of any ministry you lay before them they are not in the coffee shops they are not at the park you will not meet them at the library they do not go there okay you will never come across them there's no level of invitation you can give to get them out and they do not trust you how do you minister to those people right right the only way is to go to where they are and where are they they're online yes and the only way they're going to talk to you is if you're doing what is interesting to them and being able to make a bridge to the gospel. That's what God called me to do. And as soon as people start picking up that that vision of these people are inviting a pastor, inviting an evangelist into their home because he's interested in 
watching Minecraft or playing some stupid game. And he's able to tell them about God and get them connected to a discord where there's a bunch more Christians and they, they're loving each other. And suddenly they're hearing the gospel. That's, that's a thing that can happen. And they get all excited and they, and they, and they say, do it, do it. And I go, okay, I'll do it. May yeah. not be a ministry that lasts forever. We, you never know, but uh, for now, this is. All we know right. is what God gives us today. It's that's why when, when Jesus taught us to pray, it's for our daily bread. It's not for next week's bread. It's for daily bread. It is manna from heaven that you cannot save. It will rot. So you have to trust him every day. And that's, I mean, if, if I can just give a pitch to your listeners to Absolutely. check out my, check out my stuff, uh, go to Xtian Ninja, X-T-I-A-N-N-I-N-J-A, Christian Ninja on Twitch, on everywhere, literally all the, all the social media. Just look me up. I'm sure there'll be a link in some of the podcast area and uh, watch the video that you find on my YouTube page. That's what I'm asking you to do. Uh, you go to my YouTube channel and you'll see a video there where I explain my heart, what I think God has called me to do and why it's important. And if it's something that kind of tweaks your interest and, and, and you want to help contact me and let's see if we can uh, see what work together to partner to see if we can serve some of these people on Twitch. That is awesome. I will put all that in the show notes for everybody. And this has been uh, a fabulous conversation. It just, really um, spoke to my heart. I'm sure it spoke to our listeners. You know, thank you for what you're doing and for your ministry and taking the time out to come on the show. And well, you too. I mean, you've got a pretty unique, uh, pretty unique ministry. And I, I was pretty fascinated when I saw, saw what you're all about. So it's pretty, it's, it's neat to be a, part, a little part of it. I just started it in 2020. If you would have told me I was going to be a podcaster talking about abuse, five years ago I would have like looked at you funny but um yeah this is the wave that i'm writing That's on so how it works yeah i'm gonna send you my links for my my story series when it comes out so <laughs> you can hear all my stuff but uh so god bless you and and definitely keep in touch thank you yeah for sure wow i hope you guys enjoyed that interview with pastor al and you need to check out his podcast it's really good You'll definitely learn something each time that you listen. You may know somebody that's into gaming that you could, you know, introduce them to playing video games with, with Pastor Al and maybe striking up a friendship and talking about spiritual things. So be sure to send people over there on his Discord and platform they use for the, for the video games. I will have everything in the show notes for you. But his website is, of course, as he said, Christian Ninja, and it's spelled with an X, T-I-A-N-N-I-N-G-A. It definitely comes up in the Google search, so don't worry. As I say, you know, share these episodes with someone that you care about that would get value out of this conversation. This is how I get the word out about this podcast, and this is how I can help more people minister to others. So I appreciate that. I hope you all have a great week. And until next week, remember that you are no longer a victim. You are victorious. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Wounds of the Faithful podcast. If this episode has been helpful to you, please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. You can connect with us at dswministries.org where you'll find our blog along with our Facebook, Twitter, 
and our YouTube channel links. Hope to see you next week.